0: Well, to all the dads of all those kids walking out, good job, keep up the good work, keep working at doing it better, it's the greatest job in the world. Uh, and wow, that, those, having those boys pray for us, that's really something that, that means a lot. Well, I'm away from my family on Father's Day, but I'm delighted to be here with all of you and to celebrate. We have four kids, and I've been thinking a lot about our third, our second daughter, Kyrie, because she has a lot going on in her life right now. She just graduated from Corbin University in May with uh, her counseling degree. She's going to be a school counselor eventually. Um, August 11th, I'll be officiating her wedding out there in Colorado, if I can get through it. I'm going to walk her down the aisle. I'm going to cry. I'm going to give her away, and then I'm going to officiate. Uh, and she's just, and then she, they're moving back here because she's going to be getting her master's degree at George Fox in the next few years. Uh, well, at Christmas time, Kyrie was home uh, for her break from Corbin uh, for her senior year. And while she was home, her car got stolen uh, from the parking spot she has at her apartment right near Corbin. Now, this, this is a 1997 Honda Accord. I mean, this car has been through a lot of life, and Kyrie drove it through high school, and we were just praying, especially dad, was praying this car would make it through her college life. And I don't know who was interested in the Accord, but I guess they're actually very popular and very easy to steal, is what I learned from the police. So in case you need a car, now you know where to go. (laughs) So uh, I was on the phone with the police officer. He He was not very optimistic that we would ever see it again. So Kyrie got back and saw that it was gone. Well, we had a car she could use for her last semester, so I thought, I'm just gonna drive that car out to her because she works and so she's gotta have a car. So I was planning this trip, it's about a 20 to 24 hour driving trip. I've done it many times with the family coming out here because all my family lives uh, up here and I have 46 relatives or so between here and uh, Tacoma. Uh, so we were out here a lot. Uh, but before I made that drive, I got news from a couple of the men who are on my leadership team at Cadence, a VP and the man who heads up our recruitment, that they were going to be leaving Cadence, and I was surprised, and nothing terrible. I have a great relationship with these men. I rely on them a lot, but God was just calling them to a different ministry for a different season. That was in January. They're both now uh, gone, not serving with us. And I, it kind of sent me into a tailspin because in our world of the nonprofit, it could take me a year to 18 months to replace them because I got to find people who are willing to raise support. Then they have to come, go through our whole candidacy. Then they have to raise support. So uh, I was gonna have a year to 18 months where I'd be covering their positions or we'd be figuring out, but it'd be a lot of extra work. And, and it would just, it really discouraged me. And I was very And I am very close to these men. Well, I found this news out before I got on this drive. And I got on the drive, and I didn't realize how therapeutic this drive would be. Now, first of all, we live in Colorado, so uh, I have to drive through Wyoming. If you've ever driven through Wyoming, there's not a lot therapeutic about that, except when you get to Utah, you praise Jesus, because you got through Wyoming. (laughs) No offense if you're from Wyoming. We actually have vacation in Wyoming, there's some beautiful places, but I-80 is not one of them. The best thing about I-80 <coughs> is that you can go 80 miles an hour. You know, give or take five, if you know what I mean. Because we all have our, our limits on you know, obeying the law. <laughs> so I don't, didn't mean to go there, but, so I was going 85 and I was, just, I was wrestling with God about things going on in my life, not just these leadership pieces. And I played some worship, and I, and I prayed, and, and you know the process where you start, and you're just anxious, uh, upset. Uh, you don't know what you're gonna do, and you work your way to a place of trusting God. And that's what happened for me on I-80. And in fact, Kyrie's the car we brought out to her, has a sunroof, so I had worship songs going And I could raise my hands and drive the car with my knees going 85 miles an hour. Because that's how men of faith drive through Wyoming. And I'm kidding, young people. Don't do it, young men. I kept one hand on the wheel. Praise you, Lord. Praise you, Lord. And I felt the peace of God come over me. The peace that passes all understanding. And I had that piece for three minutes. (laughs) Because I was driving along passing some trucks, and my hands were on the wheel, going 84 and a half at that point, and the car in front of me hit the brakes. I mean, their lights went on, and they went from 80 to 20, and they just... And I couldn't get over because there were trucks now passing me on the right. And I, and I was squealing my tires trying to stop. And the car behind me was trying to stop. And I thought, what is going on with this? It was a Wyoming driver, a loco. And, and I was just in shock <coughs> and glad that I was able to stop. And then he slowed way down and he just turned into the middle medium. And he was on his phone. And he was just doing a U-turn, a Wyoming U-turn on the highway. I know and I this this peace this calmness I had in Jesus was replaced with something else <laughs> it's called rage I, I I went from zero to 80 from peace and holiness and I trust you God to I hate all people in Wyoming and I'm gonna track that guy down and give him I was just so angry I, we saw everyone survived, and we, I, I went on my way, and, uh, and I got to thinking, wow, how fickle is the peace of God in my life? The peace itself is there, ready and available for me, but it, when it comes into my life, I mean, it can be anything in a moment that just takes it away, or I let it take it away. And the the key verse of the psalm we're looking at this morning is one of the famous lines about peace in the Old Testament, be still, my soul, and know that I am God, him speaking to us. So I just wanted to start right out front, letting you know that where this scripture is taking us today, I know, bless you, how difficult this is to live. Because the stresses, the anxieties, the troubles, the unexpected circumstances, uh, or the long-term chronic challenges or difficulties are right there ready to steal this away from us. So it's my hope that as we look at this beautiful psalm, Psalm 46, that the psalmist today in, in the word of God for us today will somehow give us hope again to not give up on trusting God in a way where he will give us this calmness and this peace, this stillness that he promises. Okay, so that's where we're headed. Let's see if we can accomplish that. Turn to Psalm 46 or swipe to Psalm 46 or whatever you do to get to Psalm 46, our scripture for today. Do we not love the Psalms? I love the Psalms, and I know you do too, because they not only do they just worship God so beautifully, but they express the the, the human heart so wonderfully in so many different ways. And Psalm 46 tells us this: God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore. Kingdoms fall, he lifts his voice, the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. So come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has caused on the earth. He makes war cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, he shatters the spear, he burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Psalm 46. Now, I memorized that psalm years ago, and the reason I did is because Joyce, if you were here last year when I spoke, she did some memory work with us. She was always teaching our kids scripture, and she taught them this psalm, and I jump right in on it. This psalm has meant so much to me over the years. Next week, I'll be back, and we'll be looking at Psalm 19, which starts, The heavens declare the glory of God. And that's as far as I've got on that one. (laughs) And with the week I have ahead, that's probably what I'll quote to you Next week, it won't be near as impressive, but it will be the Word of God quoted or uh, read. So here we have uh, this beautiful psalm. Uh, In your title, or underneath the title, uh, Psalm 46, you see a couple of explanations for the director of music, uh, Sons of Korah. So you know in the temple worship, uh, they had a system of worship, much like we do today, And the sons of Korah were assigned by King David to be a part of this Levitical choir that would uh, quote scripture or sing it. But this one was written for as a song. You can see the three silas. That means there's three stanzas, three verses to this song. Um, I'm glad we sang A Mighty Fortress Is Our God because this is one of the psalms that Martin Luther was inspired to write that song about. Uh, also, there's a little Hebrew word there in most of our intros. I'm not going to try to pronounce it, but it, it literally means choir with high voices like sopranos or young, young ladies. So this song was sung and, and was sung for hundreds and hundreds of years as worship to God. And I think a mighty fortress is our God and be still my soul is well with my soul. Those two together are our version of this song. <coughs> Excuse me. This psalm primarily is about God. The first word, God. Then 18 references to him in this psalm. It's about who he is and we're to look at who he is and then because of who he is, get some ideas of how we're supposed to live. And I actually see a a main idea in each one of the stanzas. And so I just want to look at those in those three sections, see what the psalmist is trying to tell us about who God is and what that should mean for us. (coughs) Excuse me again. Number one, the first three verses, first stanza, here's what I see. God's provision is all we need to not live a life of fear. God's provision is all we need to not live a life of fear. Despite the raging waters, which could be hearkening back to the flood, but the idea that these waters were just going outside their boundaries and dis- being so destructive, despite that, um, God is providing I see three things: refuge, strength and ever-present help. Three things God's providing that he's saying because of that, we don't have to live in fear and anxiety. Refuge, shelter, protection, safety, comfort. God says, I provide that for you. Strength, might, a fortress. God is someone who can back up his comfort with strength. And ever-present help. How great is that? That God is saying to his people back then and to us, I'm always ready to help, so don't be afraid. I think about these three things as a father, especially when our kids were little. I so wanted to provide these things for them. In fact, my worst nightmares as a young dad, I would be dreaming that our kids would be in trouble. They'd be in a river or something would be happening, and I could not get to them. I would be immobilized by something And it was, they were, I would just wake up screaming because I so wanted to give them these three things that our Heavenly Father gives to us, refuge, strength, and help. And I think on Father's Day, it's a great reminder for us to be thinking about these things and providing them for our kids. Now, as I said, we have four kids. Our oldest daughter, Kareth, is married, and they have three kids, which you know what that means. I've got three grandkids, and they're the best three grandkids I've ever met in my whole life. Ryland is four, Harper is three, and little Landon is just over one. So yesterday, since I was coming here <coughs> last night, the three grandkids came over with presents for Grandpa, and they, the girls came running in. I got down on my knees, and they gave me a big old hug, happy father's day and they they had made this they painted this tree for me and I'm pretty sure it was a tree it could have been a bird with a lot of feathers or something else but they said it was a tree and it was beautiful and then they got me socks dress socks and on the socks were a bunch of hot dogs and that's what they chose for me and I thought I'm a hot dog that's cool I like it They were all, and then Rylan, the older, said, "And guess what we got for our daddy? We got socks that has poo on them." (laughs) And I was like, "They make those? That's cool." Like poo. And I looked at their mom, and she's like, "Yeah, they picked it out, poo." (laughs) And I, I, I actually felt like I think I might have passed on my humor to my grandkids. I've, I've left a legacy. That I'm sure the world will appreciate years ago when our kids were little they got me a tie that had a bunch of Winnie the Pooh on them and I wore that thing forever the first time I wore it on a Sunday and I was changing one of the kids diapers so I came out and I said to Joyce real proudly I've changed the diaper but I got a little poo on my tie (laughs) and back then that was hilarious and the 10th time I did it, it got even funnier, except to Joyce. <laughs> All right. But when I think about, when I watch my son-in-law and the, the time and energy he gives to protect, to provide refuge, to be ready, on the ready with these kids, that's the picture we have here of what God is providing for us. And because of that, very clear application, we don't need to fear. We don't need to live in fear. If we think of what if this happens, what if that happens, what, then we could live in fear easily. But this psalm is saying, even if, and the psalmist says, I'm going to tell you about the worst possible catastrophe I can think of. Even if the world is destroyed by water, this God will take care of us because we have an eternal life that cannot be touched by catastrophe. Number two, in the next stanza, this is what I see. I think the psalmist is saying God's presence is all we need for stability in a chaotic world. God's presence is all we need for stability in a chaotic world. Now, the psalmist just shifts gears as in verse 4. He's talking about these could be volcanoes, earthquakes, floods, just natural catastrophes. And then he says, there is a river (coughs) whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. The first word for God in the very first verse is the Hebrew word for God, Elohim. And it's used six times in this psalm, and that's God the Creator. Uh, God, the one who is in control of all the creation. Uh, here, the Most High God is El- Elion; He's higher than any little G God. And <clears throat> this this river, this picture of this river, of course, it, it, it's the opposite effect of what He has just described. And there's, and He's talking about Jerusalem. And you know, we know how important Jerusalem was to the people of Israel and the temple and the reminder of God's presence, his dwelling, and their sense, their belief that, man, if God is present, nothing in the world, no enemy, nothing can destroy us. Of course, we know that the people of Israel forgot that that promise was tied to their loyalty and fidelity to God. And when they broke that law over time, indeed, even this city and this temple were destroyed by enemies. But we have this picture of this river and it's metaphoric because there's not a real river in Jerusalem. It's a picture of God's blessings flowing, giving life to the people of God, sustaining them. It's a beautiful. And these streams going out just giving life to God's people. <clears throat> the holy place, where the Most High dwells, God is within her. She will not follow God. will help her at the break of day. Nations, Nations are always in an uproar. I, I you know I, I read the news and, and I pray when I read the newspaper and, and just so you know younger people this, this year I stopped getting a subscription to an actual paper paper and I know you older folks feel like I just betrayed you but I'm saving a lot of money reading it on my computer, the paper paper on the computer. Anyway, that's a side note to let you know I'm in the modern world, but I read it, and I, and I use it many mornings as a prayer guide, and what has always been true, as long as I've read the paper, is that nations are in an uproar. Our world is broken, and I pray for those that are working for justice and righteousness, but um, Clearly, for thousands of years, nations have been in an uproar and kingdoms have fallen. And then we see the strength of God's voice, the power of his voice melting the earth. And then this great phrase, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. The Lord Almighty, that's the great name for God, Yahweh. The the Lord of the host of the armies. The great ruler used over 5,000 times in the Old Testament. He's the one who's in control of everything, the one who controls uh, the heavenly host, the one who controls all of creation. He's the one that we can trust. He's the one that we can get stability from because he is present with us. When I think about God's presence and I think about what I've tried to do as a father, this might be the most important word of all, presence. When I think about our children and their different stages of life, now we have uh, young adult children uh, getting married, having babies, and college, and wow. Nobody told me the parenting you know keeps on going after you, you know, release them, but it does. This is a whole new stage. I've got a, Joyce and I have a whole nother set of things to trust God for with these young adults as they find their way and find their faith. Um, but to be present with them now in this journey, like I was when they were little kids, too. when I was there, I wasn't constantly distracted, or they, they would see that I was delighted to be with them. One of the greatest gifts you can give people, but especially your kids. And sometimes that's especially hard for us as dads. So I just wanted to say the word, whatever you have to do to choose to be present, because your kids know if you're present or not, to be present when you're with them says so much to them and pours so much into their souls. Just as God is for us, ever present, because of that great presence of this almighty God, we can live with stability in the midst of a chaotic world. And then finally, in the last stanza, I see this. <clears throat> First we have God's provision, and then we have God's presence. So I needed a P word, or I just wouldn't be able to preach this message. God's person is all we need to cease striving and find peace. God's person, who he is, the psalmist is saying, should be enough should be well first he says in verse eight come and see the works of the Lord I listened to last week's message on Psalm 66 and we saw that invitation for us to see what God is doing because of how encouraging that is to us come and see the works of the Lord the desolations he has brought on the earth desolations have you brought desolations to the earth recently do you have the power to bring desolations to the earth? It does actually make me think of a moment on the golf course I had. It wasn't huge desolation, but here's the story. So me and my buddy were golfing. We drive the ball. If you're not a golfer, we have, you have the you, the biggest stick in your bag is a driver. It's got the longest shaft. It's got the biggest head. And that, that thing, you're just going to whack it hundreds of yards. You put it up on a tee. It's my favorite. It's my favorite. Putter is my least favorite. If you're a golfer and you're watching the U.S. Open, you're saying amen. I know what you're talking about. Well, so I, my drive kind of, there's this big, wide thing they call fairways. Now, I've never been on them. I don't, I, you know, I don't, I don't walk them. I just because there's woods and stuff on either side, and that's way more fun. So that's where I go. (laughs) So so I'm out there on the edge of the fairway, but just the ball is just a little bit from, I'm under a tree, but the limbs are high, but I'm sitting right there. And so normally I would take a, a low iron and I would just sort of hit it out into the fairway. But my playing partner, my buddy Jay, who we've been golfing for years. We started in Germany on military courses, and he's at our headquarters, and, and he goes, Dave, I, I was watching uh, the pros play last week, and I saw one of them do a really cool thing. I think you should try. Right now, I should have stopped listening. Like, okay, like, oh, the pros did it. Maybe I could do it. <laughs> Probably Phil Mickelson. got under there. He's a lefty. And he said he used his driver to punch the ball out. So you're not just going out on the fairway. You're getting some yardage. And I thought, you know, me and Phil, you know, no problem. I, he's lefty. I'm a righty. So I got my driver out, and, and he said the word punched. And when he said that, for whatever reason, I thought velocity. <laughs> and so I'm lining up, and there's the ball, and, I'm just, and I just take a big old thwack at it. And here's where the desolations of the earth comes in. (laughs) This huge piece of turf. I ground the club into the ground. I didn't didn't hit the ball at all. The ball moved two inches because the big (laughs) tuft of grass behind it moved it. And this tuft of grass went flying forward. And and then I followed through, and my club felt lighter because sure enough, the, the head of the club, when it hit the ground, it broke off, and it flew the other direction. And I'm standing there with just this shaft. The ball moved two inches. And Jay, my buddy, and I, we, we did what any mature adult would do in this situation. We got the giggles. He was like, you need to get a new caddy, buddy. And I was like, I need to get a new driver, man. And, and then I I just swung that thing around the rest of day and and I still have the head of that as a reminder to don't to not listen to my buddy when we're <laughs> golfing. Okay, that that was just sort of a free whatever. To, so you know I'm an average golfer. Um, but that little that little piece of golf course is forever my uh, desolations of the earth when I say I, yeah I did that. God has the power. All these things that are. Happening in nature and, and when nations in war, it's nothing to God. I mean, one day he's going to just destroy it all. He created it all with his, with his breath. He, he's, his power is so far beyond what we can fathom. And that's what the psalmist is saying in these hey, look around what God can do if he, if he wants to. And then, of course, finally, these, this famous verse, verse 10. In light of all that, be still and know that I'm God. So the psalmist has been talking about God. <clears throat> now God interjects his voice first person and says to us, be still. And this, isn't, this is, it, this, this be still has a fair amount of rebuke in it. It's, it's stronger than it comes across in English. It's really stop your ceasing. Enough is enough. It's, it's kind of the tone Jesus must have used when he was in the boat with the disciples. He'd been sleeping, having a nice nap, but they're in a huge storm, and they're afraid for their lives. They wake him up, and Jesus says to the storm, Be still. And in this case, we're the storm, and God's saying, Be still. Stop your, your surging, your quaking, your... your your striving, your, your unnecessary anxiety about everything that you are not even really in control of. And that's what the second part of the verse is saying. Know that I am God. There's a sense, of course, that we know God over a period of time and there's an intimacy to it. But this word is really saying acknowledge that I'm God. You can stop your striving if you would just acknowledge that I am the, the Elohim of the universe. I am the Yahweh, the El Elyon. I got this. I am God. I'm going to be exalted in the earth. I'm going to be exalted in the nations. I'm God. I got this. All you have to do is acknowledge that I am God, and you can be still. And as already mentioned, that's harder to do than we can imagine. For a whole bunch of reasons. We're human, and so we're going to be anxious, we're going to be afraid, we're going to worry about things. Um, we're also, we still have this idea that, that I can control it. And I always struggle with what is my place? What do I do? Like with our young adult children, uh, one of them's on a journey with faith, and I want to say, okay, what should I be doing besides praying? Should I be talking to him? Should I be encouraging him to go to church? What should I be doing? What's my role? Because I maybe should be doing those things. But ultimately, God is saying, I love him. I got this. So whatever you do, make sure you don't do it out of fear or out of control. Do it out of love. And that might mean not doing anything and letting him figure it out. You know what I'm talking about with these kind of decisions? They're prevalent in life with people that we love and care about. But it comes back to, and this is what the psalmist is saying, we can cease our striving if we renew our understanding and our knowledge of this great God that we have who provides for us, whose presence with us, and his very character as God and all that he can do. We can release these things to him so that when we do our part, it comes from a place of peace and love and trust, not anxiety manipulation and control. Mm, big difference. So in conclusion, you folks got some trouble today? Jesus said, in this world, we will have Trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Do you have your own chaos? <clears throat> sometimes that's relationally. Sometimes it's work, business, finances, health. Your own challenges. Maybe you've got your own enemies. You, enemies that feel like are laying siege to you. And uh, and dawn is coming. You got anxiety, stress. Do you have heartache? Of course you do. And this psalm is not minimizing those things to say that they're, they're easy or they're, you know, uh, workable or they're small. The psalmist is just maximizing God and his greatness and saying, look at your troubles in light of this great God who loves you. Then they'll be in their right perspective. I'll tell you one story in closing as we think about this. I was at uh, visiting our ministry at Fort Hood, Texas. Fort Hood has uh, over 50,000 uh, American soldiers, plus dependents and civilians. And we have a hospitality house there, Cadence does. It's on 16 acres. It's um, a beautiful little spot. It's a, a real place of refuge. And I was there on a Sunday afternoon after chapel. There were about 50, 60 people there. We're just visiting. And I remembered something. I don't remember. I was going to the car to get something and as I went out the front porch there was a young soldier just sitting there and he looked so troubled. Maybe 23, 24. So I turned to him and I said, Hi, I'm David. Um, He told me his name and I said, You look troubled. Do you want to talk to someone about it? He hesitated for a moment and then he said, Yeah, actually. Here's what's going on. He he was a, a driver of a tank, and he had been deployed uh, in Kuwait, I believe, uh, for training, and he was there for a year on, on this deployment, this training, and he told me that while he was away, his fairly newly married wife had had an affair and been unfaithful, and now she was pregnant, and he didn't even know if he was the father. And he just poured out this trouble that had just come upon him. And we talked about it for a bit, and I said, well, how are you doing in the midst of this? And he said, I I don't know. I'm not doing great, but I'm here at this hospitality house because this community of believers is helping me get it through, get through, and helping me still believe that God has got this. And I thought that was a great statement of reality and faith for a young soldier to kind of put this whole psalm together, to say to all of us that no matter what our troubles, whatever it is for you today, and you don't know about tomorrow's, right? You don't know what's coming. I mean, sometimes we see see the trouble coming, right? When our kids turn thirteen, Joyce and I were like, "Whoa, okay, we see that coming." <laughs> but most, a lot of times, it just it just comes, and we're reminded by this song that God has provided for us he is present with us and his very person is strong and loving and can handle it so as we close i w- and i pray i want to encourage you to think about whatever that trouble anxiety struggle person burden what you know whatever it is let's as we pray let's let's together because i have my my own list let's together push those back to where they belong, to the arms of our almighty God, Yahweh. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your people thousands of years ago who wrote these songs and psalms. I, I thank you that they've been used to remind us of who you are all these years. And now I pray for your people in this spot and this time with whatever is on their heart right now. Help them just to simply say to you again, I acknowledge you as God. I trust you. I receive your provision. I I embrace your presence. I give you this. I put it on your shoulders again. And we know you will take it and you will guide us. You will give us wisdom and you'll give us hope through your word and through the community of believers. So I pray for that for your people today in Jesus' name.